Reverend Clegg? Well, I think the, the basic uh, reason or symptom or proof for the racism of the Christian church is the simple fact that white people have pretended for so long that, that Jesus was white and that they've had the necessity to, uh, to interpret Jesus as being white when essentially white Christianity is uh, racially, uh, is, is uh, historically false and uh, theologically absurd and uh, practically in terms of its effect on black people it's a debasing institution that enslaves black people. I think we have to understand, though, that this, we're not making moral judgments here. Any institution that exists in any society exists to serve the interests of the people who set it up. And Christianity uh, began as a black man's religion. It's an African religion. We have to remember that uh, Israel went into Egypt with 70 people, and after approximately 750 years came out with over 2 million people and uh, hordes of other slaves who came out and became also a part of the emerging new nation of Israel. So Israel, the biblical Israel, was a black nation, an African nation, that came out of, uh, uh, of, of Africa and kept constant ties with Africa. And so we have to remember then that Jesus was a, was a black messiah, not a, not a white messiah, and he comes out of the whole uh, historical background of, uh, of Africa, of African traditions, of uh, African history, of African culture, the concept of uh, communalism, the concept of a chosen people, the concept of uh, kingdom of God on earth, all the, these things were uh, uh, out of African tradition, not out of the white man's tradition. And Jesus was essentially a revolutionary Messiah who was trying to lead a black people in a revolt, in a struggle and conflict with a white Gentile oppressor. So the whole church has to be viewed from the point of view of the white oppressor. The white oppressor has one kind of Christianity, has one kind of church. The black church has to become independent and go back to the historic African roots of Christianity because the slave church that the white man set up for black people tends to continue the enslavement of black people. So the black church has to become again a revolutionary instrument in the hands of black people controlled by black people fighting as Jesus fought for the liberation of black people against white Gentile oppression. He came out of, if you look at his uh, uh, genetic tree, his genealogy, you will find that all of those people in there had been uh, uh, of the family of Hasmon, of the recent, uh, I'd say about the last 10 or 12 of them, of his uh, uh, um, predecessors, uh, of, 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 of uh, those he descended from, his ancestors. They were of the family of Hasmon. Hasmon was the great father uh, out of which came the Maccabean family, which made a strike for freedom and got it from the Syrians who were subjugating them at the time in the year 167 BCE under Judas Maccabeus and uh, his brother John and, and several others, Judas Maccabeus meaning Judas the Hammer. There and they struck for freedom and established them as an independent nation until the Romans came later and subjugated them uh, uh, there. Uh, when there was a fight between one um, member of the Hasmonean party and the other for power, then they called the Romans in to help. I think it was John Hyrcanus come into power. Uh, it was either John Hyrcanus or Aristobulus. I forget which one it is. But anyway, one was called against the other and when the Romans did come in and take control then they took the power from him as well and gave it to a foreigner, an Edomian named Herod.
So now, Jesus' uh, family line in terms of as a dynasty was the Hasmonean dynasty at the time. And their symbol of their household was a panther, a black panther. Now I got that from the writings of Godfrey, Sir Godfrey Higgins in the book Anacalypsis. And he uh, seems to substantiate it very well. Because this panther, black panther symbol went all the way back to ancient Greece. Bacchus, their god of wine and, and dance and singing, also had a black panther as his symbol. So it was a very popular symbol in the ancient world. And we see Rastafari as a liberationist religion. It is prophesied that oppression make the wise man mad. And who is madder than my servant, said the Lord, our God, Rastafari. The Rastafarian were the only two Afrocentric black people who preached self-reliance, who preached self-confidence. But we interpret the Bible a different way. Most of these places that they're telling you about in the Bible is in Africa. The Garden of Eden is in Africa. The teaching that we get from the elders then is that we always have to look for a black man as God, for we, somebody that we can identify with. Christ promised to mankind that he will return within 2,000 years. And then when he returns, he will be the king of kings through the lineage of King Solomon and King David. Now we look out there to see who is this one man, Ailes Selassie I the first. Emperor Ailes Selassie is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. He's our God, Rasta God. Rasta said. The purpose of life is to be happy. Everybody's supposed to be happy. And live in peace, love, and unity. Yeah, man. October 9th. Yes, sir. That's where it starts. So I want to talk about, excuse me, I want to talk about Black Jesus. And uh, let's start with uh, John Coltrane. John Coltrane isolated himself, went into his attic at, at his home and spent some time there 
As far as I understand, he was trying to kick the habit of heroin. He was trying to um, create new music and he needed to isolate himself and, and he was trying to find God. And so he isolated himself and he wrote his album, the album which is entitled A Love Supreme. He is quoted as saying, for the first time, I've received it all at once, like all of the music, all the message at once, because his intention was to serve God. He wanted to heal people and enlighten people. And so he felt that he had received the message from God on how to do that, how to go about about doing that, and that it would be. Uh, expressed in his, uh, I guess, his uh, opus, the uh, A Love Supreme, because it represented his most intentional and sacred work, arguably. Most intentional and sacred work. And it basically follows the path of enlightenment from acknowledgement to resolution to pursuance and then to psalm. These are the, the titles of each, what we would call tracks today. But these are more than tracks. These are, you know, these are the, the steps toward uh, enlightenment. I find it so interesting that he was isolated, that he had to isolate himself. Um, and that he felt that he had received, received it all, received God's, you know, message to him all at once. I find that interesting. And then I also find it interesting that A Love Supreme is his most intentional work. And to that point, it was stated in the documentary I watched that John Coltrane chose everything on that album. He chose the artwork, he chose the liner notes, and he chose the prayer. Like his fingerprints or his imprint is all over that particular album. The way that I learned about this album is I was listening to Dr. Cornell West uh, in many of his uh, interviews and in his uh, speaking engagements, you name it. Dr. Cornell West mentions A Love Supreme by John Coltrane or rather Dr. Cornell West has mentioned John Coltrane many a times. These aspects of John Coltrane's uh, life and career and and his um, his spiritual journey, um, I did not pick up from Dr. Cornell West. He didn't mention this. I don't recall in in any of the in any of his presentation. Or you know what happens? I can listen. I'll listen to an interview. But if I'm not if I'm not keen on what they're talking about. Well, then things will go over my head. So I'm sure Dr. Cornell West mentioned it in his, uh, um, you know, speaking engagements, interviews and what have you. It just went over my head until I watched this documentary, which explained that there is a church in uh, San Francisco. You know, dedicated to the life legacy and to the uh, sainthood of John Coltrane, which is like profound and wildly inspiring. And that's, that's where I am today with this video. Want to, so I want to, that's the jumping off point. John Coltrane, a jazz musician, a jazz artist in America becomes a saint. And there's a church named after him. 
true. This is these are facts. Okay. All right. So after discussing that, I want to move into um, this discussion about Black Jesus. All right, because basically, John Coltrane. Uh, let's say. Wow. Must have been during the 50s or the 40s. I don't, I'm not maybe the 50s, possibly the 60s. I don't know. I don't know the time. I'm guessing it's the 60s. I'm going to guess. I'm just going to throw that out there. Probably the 60s for uh, John Coltrane. Um, don't hold me to that. You know, this is all new learning for me, new information. But um, we're going to start. We're going to start with John Coltrane, and he sets the tone for Black uh, Jesus uh, discussion, okay? Mama, couldn't we at least let Black Jesus hang alongside? Forget it. The only Jesus I know is him, and the one thing he don't need is a partner. <laughs> Mama, how do we know Jesus wasn't black? He could have been from the lost tribe of Israel. They were supposed to be black. I bet they were. If ever people were lost, we're it. <laughs> you this picture has been in my family for as long as i can remember when i was a baby i don't know what i saw first my mama my papa or this jesus now he's the one i know and love so let's close the subject jesus was black the bible would have said so but it does say so what are you talking about uh, i read about it um it's in revelations chapter 1 verse 14 i read about it in muhammad speaks it says um Oh, his hair is like wool, and his eyes are like flame of fire. Well, Lord, have mercy. You sure do say that, don't it? And see, Mama, look at her hair, like wool, ain't it? And look at her eyes, red like fire. Yeah, they, they sure is. Junior, how come you decided to paint this? I don't know. All of a sudden, I just had divine thoughts on my mind. <laughs> and for JJ, that's a first. What, having divine thoughts? No, having a mind. <laughs> Next, I'm going to move into uh, the, the 1970s, I believe, with um, Good Times, the TV show um, Good Times, starring, uh, who was that? That's. Uh, um, Esther Roll, Jimmy Walker, Jimmy J.J. Uh, Walker, and um, I forgot the gentleman's name, the, the father. Forgot, I forgot his name, you know, coming to America and um, for all shame on me for not knowing his name. But... It is what it is. All right. Now, the thing about that uh, that TV show is there was the Black Jesus episode where um, James Evans, little son, the, the son, decides to enlighten his mother um, and tell her, hey, Jesus was black. So why don't we uh, why don't we celebrate? Why don't we represent? Why don't we hang a photo, hang a painting, excuse me, a painting of uh, black Jesus? So there you have in media, in American media, we have the um, we, we're having the media uh, broach the subject of black Jesus. OK, 
We have that out there in good times, I believe in the 1970s. Now, Jesus was a human. If you're a Christian, you believe that he was the second son of the Blessed Trinity. He was uh, the son of God. He was divine, but he was expressed in his 33 years on earth as a human being. And now coming forward are not a few very, very active people to say that the presentation of a white Jesus down through history before people of color has served to characterize the Caucasian as superior, Correct. as the best, Correct. as better than others. Right. And more than that has perpetuated a lie on the people of color and continued their enslavement. That's right. Here's who's here. Blair Underwood joins us from L.A. Law. Pow! Blair, Blair needs no lecture on this. A lot of black folks don't go for this black Jesus at all. Ben praying to a white Jesus all their lives. Mm -hmm. This is their Jesus. And no activist of the moment is going to come along and rip that imagery out of their soul. Mm -hmm. And they're just as proud of their blackness as anybody else. It doesn't have to do with all this psychological stuff that you newfangled people <laughs> keep bringing on. <laughs> Blair uh, Underwood has produced a, uh, it's, it, you know, it's mis misleading to call it a movie. It's a 30-minute uh, short film. Yeah, a 30-minute film in which he plays Jesus. Let me show you just a piece of that, Blair, and then we'll, we'll gab here a little bit. Jesus, this is the crucifixion. This is right at the beginning of the film. Just a moment to show you. Watch. the beginning of the film uh, titled The Second Coming which was written, produced and as you see uh, starred in by uh, Blair Underwood um, you should also know without giving the story of this film away that the historical Jesus then uh, appears in your film as a contemporary black male right. who is in a mental institution and they're scared to death of this guy and I mean almost to the point where you know they're just Beat, beating him down. Did the... Let's fast forward 20 years uh, ahead, or I mean, it's, it's in the past, but 20 years from the 70s into the 1990s, and you have um, a well-respected, very dignified um, actor, Blair Underwood, who has a work, um, a short film produced that tackles this subject. And Blair Underwood presents his uh, short film entitled The Second Coming About Jesus, in which Blair Underwood, a black man, portrays Jesus. And for that time, when that movie, when that short film was produced, it was the very first depiction of Jesus as a black man. So that really 
you know, kind of stirred the pot. Or rather, when he went on to on Donahue, the talk show of the time, to uh, present his movie ideal, to discuss the subject matter in public, you know, he was kind of stirring the pot, you know. But um, so at that time in the 1990s, the subject was broached by Blair Underwood. All right. Did the Rodney King thing inspire you? Oh, most definitely. Uh, I have talked, I've been very outspoken about things that I have dealt with with the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, friends of mine, uh, young African-American males with the so-called justice system. And when the Rodney King, the first verdict, came out a year ago, it hit me. Said, I said, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a so-called celebrity. It doesn't matter if you're Rodney King, even Christ. If he were a man of color, were to come back, he would be treated the same way. So in the film, that's why he's accused of this, this heinous crime without giving too much of it away. But I, I, I need to make the point before Please we get do. into this, because this Go. can get very heated as it has before. Well, I don't know. We got a pretty, <laughs> well, yeah, a pretty thoughtful audience here. You know, uh, they will offer their own insightful, civilly oh, course, uh, structured commentary here in just a moment. <laughs> but it's important for people to realize that this film is not about dividing people. You've seen, this audience has seen the film. It's about understanding. It's about enlightenment. It's about what this man, Jesus, whatever he looked like, yeah. what he taught, his philosophy yeah. of love. But we're dealing with this historical figure. Yes, next, we are. Uh, uh, what color was he, Blair, in your own... Are you, you are a Christian? Yes, I am. You were raised a Christian. Yes. And, uh, you, you know, this is not an investigation, but, I mean, was it, you better get to church or mama's going to have to know why? I don't know. I, it what, was pretty much like that, yeah. Um, all right, so that you... Uh, uh, was it Baptist? Baptist. All right, so you sang all those hymns to Jesus, and I'm sure that Jesus in, throughout your childhood was white. Is that so? Uh, that's, that's correct, but we were always told that he was a man of color. Before we get into it, you have to understand what is black. What is blackness? Blackness is one of three things. It's either a perception, what you see. When you look at me, Phil, you see a man of a darker hue. It's either a state of mind, a consciousness. That's why I have friends of mine who are white, and, you'll say, and, and, and they know more about African-American heritage and culture than some black people. And you'll say, well, this, this white guy, he's black. He's a brother. Thirdly, when we talk about blackness, it's defined by your ancestral lineage, your gene genealogical line. If you go to the genealogical line of Jesus, there are people of color throughout his lineage completely. And it, it, the thing is, before anybody can take issue with this film or with this entire issue, and it's not a novel idea, the significance of this film is it's never been on camera. A black Jesus has never been on camera. Right. Certainly not a crucifixion. Um, so it, it's been there. And, it, and it's important to establish yeah. that because of all the things you said, we talked about right. the justice system. Well, but, but once we get beyond that, then, and only then, it becomes relevant. Yeah, what let me just, like. I want to make sure I understand your position here, Blair. Um, you do seem to be finessing a bit uh, that color is a matter of the heart. And mm. you're right, there are bl white people who have been so very, very uh, exemplary in their continued effort to ensure that the civil rights of all people are, are protected. Mm -hmm. that, that people of color, minorities, have started to refer to them as brother or sister. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Mm -hmm. um, but they're still white. I, I think you are, you are suggesting that there's some pretty good historical, anthropological evidence suggesting that Jesus just probably was black. Am I correctly stating your... Uh, that's right. Yeah, okay. In that... Was he a Jewish black guy? Do, and, and do, oh, there's no question. We're talking about was. a Jewish man from Jerusalem who more than likely, there were no camcorders or Polaroid cameras then, but more than likely had to have been a man of color. We're are talking you, about probabilities. Are you there? And then, um, fast forward 30 years to an interview that I, um, I watched 
few years ago. Uh, well, it was three years ago now, and I was listening to Nikki Giovanni, poet, uh, professor, scholar, uh, you know, African American dignitary, you know, if you will, and um, poet. Uh, Nikki Giovanni says something quite interesting in her uh, interview with the uh, the Breakfast Club, and she says that. And you know, if if Jesus were here right now, he'd be a rapper, but he'd be honest. He wouldn't be uh, Ice Cube or some fool like that. But but he would be a rap. He'd be Tupac. Her be uh, interview with the uh, the Breakfast Club, and she says that. If Jesus were alive today, he would be a rapper. A rapper. Which I think is interesting because my my book entitled 109 is is basically presenting that that premise. Is it, well that is the premise that that is the underlying uh theme, you know, that Jesus not only was a black man, but also Jesus was a rapper, um, specifically one Nipsey Hussle. That's, you know, that's what that's what that's about. One oh nine. And let's not get it twisted. As I read in um, the autobiography of Malcolm X last night. Um, what was this? What was his buddy's name? Not Sonny. Was it Sonny? Malcolm X's buddy told him he said you know everything in this world is a hustle he told him that everything in this world is a hustle so so i'm being transparent with you right now saying i'm making these videos hoping to get my hustle on hoping to um garner and uh and get your support for this project my story right my story of 109 get your copy at ic109.store that's what this is all about, right? It's a fantastic, fascinating story. But Nikki Giovanni says if uh, if if Jesus were alive today, he'd be a rapper. That's what she thought. Now, from her like lived experience and from her perspective, that rapper would have been Tupac Shakur. But that's given her lived experiences, her you know uh, identify identifying you know identifying with Tupac Shakur or rather with her seeing um Jesus you know uh through him you know what I'm saying in my book is that I see Jesus through you know one Nipsey Hussle right all right now next thing is you know we're talking about rap with about rappers here and then um soon there there'll be this uh movie released that Jay-Z is behind, Jay-Z, Hova, J-Hova, okay, these are his name and, um, is, you know, refers to him as, as Jesus or as a God, um, the God MC, no, I think Rakim is the God MC, Jay-Z is Hove, Hova, Hova the God, but, um, so Jay-Z is, um, produced, uh, has produced this, this, uh, movie called The Book of Clarence, which basically presents uh, Jesus as a black man and what a time it is to be alive to get all of these uh, these rich stories that are, um, you know, we're moving in, in this direction at this point in time. It's here. 
Jesus of Nazareth. You can't even buy. You know, I've got my story. I've got my two cents to add to this. And uh, Jay-Z, of course, he's a bigger name. Everyone knows Jay-Z. Jay-Z's got his story to tell. He's already telling it. Got got the money behind it to just put it out there, you know. Um. Oh, yeah. And then not to mention, speaking of uh, right now, uh, Christina Cleveland, Dr. Christina Cleveland is a young woman. She's younger than I am, a few years younger than I am. And she um, has written a book entitled uh, God is a Black Woman. I have it over here on the shelf. And there she is talking about she taught me the this, this term black liberation theology. Hi, I'm Dr. Christina Cleveland. I'm a social psychologist, a public theologian, and the author of God is a Black Woman. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what this is about. This is liberation. But you are free. You're free to believe what you want. Black liberation and theology. And when we're talking about the Bible, oh, man, this is what it is. This is where we are. Now, the thing about it is we've always had our stories interpreted by other people. And these stories of interpretation from other people have left us, you know, uh, wanting, have, have left us, you know, needing, you know, something more. Basically, we've, we've been left um, wanting, in want of uh, images that look like us. Now, we can go to Egypt and find those images of us, and that turns, you know, turns everything um, that we've learned on its head, like, oh, Jesus was white? Nah, but look at all these black images on the hieroglyphs and on the walls of Egypt. Look at these statues and everything is black. How could Jesus have been black? I mean, how could Jesus have been white? Excuse me. Jesus was black, you know. All right. At any rate, we're there. We're in the first gallery. Dr. Kramer, this little lady, you know, white lady, she's a, and she says, and this is the Egyptian. The Egyptians believed that Ra, the sun god, and then you let her talk for a while. And here's a little picture. You know, you got one of the papyrus there. And they're talking about inhabiting the heavens, this kind of thing. And so as she's talking, we let her talk about four or five minutes. And she said, uh, let's move on. I said, hold on, Dr. Kramer. Could we stay here just for a second? She said, yes, yes, yes. You have questions? I said, no, no, no. I just want to check something. Now, I could read what it wrote. But I said, uh, Shanice, what'd that say? Shanice starts translating the glyphs. I am the divine when I happen, speech itself happens. This professor, Christine Kramer, one of the leading authorities in African art in the world, she's like, you can read that? Shanice, never look back at her. Yeah. And then and she said, and I'm not alone. She looked around and for the first time in the tour, she could see us. Going back to the Leslie Odom piece, we don't need you in this exhibit. We're very glad. And thank you for putting this catalog. It's very important. But please understand that what Jacob Carellas used to teach us, African people must break the chain that link us to other people's ideas and talk to our ancestors without interpreters. In other words, <laughs> Jacob Carellas would say, you know, it's one thing if you ought to read this in English. But once you understand what you're looking at, these other people can come. We want you to learn. But what we're not going to do is trust what you say about my mother. I'm gonna to talk to my mother without you. Uh, I don't need you as an interpreter. That's the same anyway, way. Go ahead. That's why I said. Anyway, um, Dr. Greg Carr, you know, in his uh, discussion with Karen Hunter, 
you know, sums it up exactly how I, you know, how I felt it. When he said that, I was like, yes, because I have been living, I have been living my experiences very much in line with uh, what Nipsey said. See, the best teacher in life is your own experience. None of us know who we are until we fail. Nipsey said, you know, who would you want to? Oh, I can't. I don't have it memorized. He said who something to the effect. Who would you want to tell your story? Somebody else or you? I know that's not exactly what Nipsey said. I'm going to have to find that quote and then put it, you know, right about here. Well, who would you want to define you? Someone else or yourself? Whatever you do, homie. Give your heart to it and stay strong. Um, anyhow, I was living my life. And so there were, um, there were those moments where I, I was frustrated hearing the stories from, you know, other white travelers. And rather than take their experiences and apply them to myself and live vicariously through them, I had to seek my own experiences to define the world for myself. I couldn't take their words for it. And so that, that really compelled me, motivated me to travel. And then lastly, I'll say that, you know, through my travels, I ended up in the desert and, um, it's so interesting that so many stories of the Bible took place in the desert. I did a quick search about biblical stories in the desert, and I found this. I found that the computer, AI, generated this statement. AI said, in scripture, the desert is a place of testing and transformation, of being divested of empire and ego. The silence and stillness of the desert allowed people to avoid the distractions and temptations of the world and focus on defeating their internal demons. You have to stop this, rewind that, listen to it again. That is profound because this, that silence is what I felt and found in the desert. I lived in the desert of, of Saudi Arabia for two years. I lived in the desert of Oman for about seven months. John Coltrane's, you know, figurative desert was his attic, where the, the attic, where he went into the attic and he was, you know, no longer distracted. And so my story of 109, which is on sale at IC109.store, get your copy today. My story is about my experience in the desert. And it's so interesting that my story of being in the desert mirrors that of, you know, of, the, of Jesus's story. You see, Jesus had, um, after being baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus went into the Judean desert to fast for 40 days. And during that fasting, he was tempted by the devil. He refused each temptation. And thereafter, the angels came to minister uh, to him. Now, in my case, I wasn't fasting per se. Um, I did live in the desert of, uh, of Oman during Ramadan. So, 
that's sort of my fasting, but I wasn't actually practicing. I was not fasting during Ramadan. No, no, no. Um, wasn't ready for that experience. But living through a, a Ramadan, being in a in an Islamic uh, country during Ramadan was a new experience for me when I was in Oman. When I was in Saudi Arabia during Ramadan, I left the country and I went traveling. Anyhow, but it was Oman that had that held the the most spiritual um, awakening for me. It's when it was when in Oman that I received it all at once, like John Coltrane. But let's go back to this desert. Um, let's keep with the theme of the desert. Moses, Moses was in the desert for forty years in the desert before God raised him up to lead Israel out of Egypt. So there's the desert again. Look at the role the desert plays in Moses's life. All right, and then in for the Hebrews. God rescued the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, led them to the desert of Sinai, where they traveled for 40 years toward the promised land, the desert. The desert represented a very important, you know, aspect, you know. And then finally, the story of David. David hid in the desert, hid from Saul, King Saul, before God made him the new king, right? So before great transformation, before great change occurs, uh, one has to go through that, uh, that, that temptation uh, limit, that temptation, uh, that war with temptation, where uh, we have to avoid the distractions and we have, to, we have to fast and we have to divest from ego and empire, you know, and that's what the desert represents, the separation from all of those temptations and distractions. And that's what my story of 109 is about. Or rather, that's where that story came from. It came from my time in the desert. So get a copy of uh, my book, I See 10-9. No. My web address where you can purchase the book is ic109.store. Um, my YouTube channel is IC109, and uh, the story, the name of the story is uh, 109 or 109 or 109. So that's what this is all about. So when I talk about the premise of the story 109 or 109, it's not, I'm not talking from a place of, um, I'm not talking from a, from a crazy place. I mean, look at the people, look at the names of the people who have, uh, who have, uh, broached this same, uh, topic in their ways. I mean, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe my message and these words will only go as far as this YouTube channel and who knows who will ever see this, but the same topic is broached in other, you know, by other people at other times and look at how far. You know, they're able to take this, this same message of basically Jesus was black. Look at how far they can go. Jay-Z's got a movie coming out. You know, John Coltrane has a, a church in, um, in San Francisco to this day. Blair Underwood had, uh, you know, has a short film, you know. 
Just something to think about. Peace and blessings. Black Jesus. Look up across the street. It's high speed tax service right now. That was the first loss in T's. Right when we look up across the street, it was a big ass four lease sign. That was it right there. That's what we had to do. That was God telling us that's what we need to do. We need to be in that lot. We need to pay some rent. Stop getting harassed by these police. That's the beginning of this shit. Now, if he was a historic figure, he was black. Even Billy Graham said that Jesus could not have been white. He was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. And Jesus was not a white man like me. Nor was he as black as some of you. We don't know what the color of his skin, but it must have been a dark color like the people of his day because he was a man like them. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. He belongs to the world.